0: Good morning Uh, first off i want to bring you i want to bring you greetings from a number of different places i bring you greetings from the adirondacks where the snow is deep (laughs) just got back if you if you have missed deep snow the last few years come on up to the adirondacks it's absolutely lovely bring your snowshoes skis or whatever Um, so i bring you greetings from harv zegstro and his family who work up there as our manager i bring you greetings From the regional synod office where fowler is is blessed to be able to have office space abby norton levering bob hoffman and the folks who work to to support the ministries of all the churches in upstate new york and i bring you greetings from my home congregation first Reformed scotia who are also in worship right now um, and who wish you well um, as we minister together in this in this small area So, join me in prayer. Lord God, even as we see the expanding clarity of light in the season where the sun rises earlier and earlier, we ask that you would lift the darkness from our eyes, that you would help us to be present in this place, our head, our heart, our bodies, our souls, present to hear your words, old words written new words spoken, and the words that flow around in our heads that may become your word for us on this day. We pray this in the risen Christ's name, amen. Our readings this morning on this last Sunday in Lent come to us from two places, Psalm 103 and Genesis 9, and and both are texts of a formative texts for us. the so Psalm 103 is a text that's traditionally read after communion. When I grew up, we had communion four times a year. And that's when we heard this text of God's great and expanding love and graciousness, which we had just tasted in communion, and we got to hear this text. So, so listen for that in Psalm 103. In Genesis 9, It's one of those initial stories in Genesis 1 through 11 where where we, we hear the great myths that form the background to the rest of the story. These sort of set the stage for the rest of us. So listen now to the word of the Lord, first from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all God's benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like that of the eagle's. The Lord works vindication and justice for those who are oppressed. God made known God's ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. For the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our inequities. For as the heavens are high, high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love toward those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west. So far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows How we were made. God remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. And for the wind passes over, it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of God is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do God's commandments. The Lord has established His thrones in the heavens, throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, His angels, you mighty ones who do God's bidding, obedient to His spoken word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers that do His will. Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And from Genesis 9, we hear of some of those creatures over whom God exercises dominion. Hear this ending to the story of Noah. I will assume you know the first part about a boat and animals and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of water. It ends this way. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you shall rest on every animal of the earth and on every bird of the air, on everything that creeps on the ground and all the flesh and all the fish in the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Only you shall not eat its flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your own lifeblood, I will surely require a reckoning. From every animal, I will require it, and from human beings, each one for the blood of another, I will require a reckoning for human life. Whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human shall that person's blood be shed. For in his own image, God made humankind. And you be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh in the waters. shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Here ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I'll confess. I hated it when they took the rainbow. I didn't really hate it. That's strong. But it really bugged me. It wasn't their symbol to take. It was a symbol of God's promise to never again destroy the world. And they took it to proclaim their unity and diversity, the gay, lesbian, bi, trans, etc. There wouldn't be rights for one, they said, until there were rights for all. But it wasn't their symbol to take. It comes at this end of this text of terror we find in the opening stories of Genesis. The story of Noah is not one we should paint on our nursery walls, it's a story we should only tell in whispers. God's wrath in this story is so great that God begins to unmake the world which only 8 chapters earlier was seen as good and very good. In the tale of Noah, God undoes undoes the humans, the beasts, the birds, the fish, the stars, the land, even the The dome in the sky, God begins to tear out, allowing the waters above the earth and the waters below the earth to once again join in their primordial chaos. This is a terrible, terrible story. Fearful. Only Noah and his family and a few of the beasts and birds make it through. And then only as a last-minute thought, as if God God were getting into his car and remembered that he left the stove on. He had to stop a minute and go, deal with it. God remembered the battered boat and the beasts and once again sends God's breath to dry up the waters, just like that first story in creation. And after a long, lonesome, and frightening time, the boat runs ashore and everyone gets out amazed happy to be alive but perhaps perhaps a bit more cautious about this being who can unleash such madness on the world and then and then god makes this proclamation we read a minute ago god makes it to the humans and to all the beasts The covenant that God would never again lose his cool like that. And it's kind of boring reading because he makes that covenant seven times to them. One for every time that God called and saw the world as good in Genesis 1. God makes this covenant and repeats it seven times to Noah and the beasts. The bow is placed in the heavens as a reminder as a reminder to God, not to Noah, to God, that should creation ever go south like that again, God would find another way to bring healing. And I'll tell you that I'm a Christian largely because of that story and that promise. The call to care for the earth and all the beings who are part of that covenant is integral to my understanding of the Jesus story and the the God-so-loving-the-world part of it. So the rainbow is a pretty big deal to me. It's a reminder to God to care for this creation, and it's a reminder to us, those of us, who humankind who are made in the image of God, to also care for it. It was a reminder when I was young to not destroy it with atomic weapons as I ducked under my third-grade desk in the 1960s. Or a reminder to not destroy it with pollutants, as I remember, as some of you do, that ad with the Native American canoeing the polluted river and the tear in his eye that defined that defined the 1970s Earth Day movements. Or not destroy it with greed as we entered the 80s that so many of us lived through. Or to not destroy it with a continued disregard to global warming as that data grew louder and louder and louder to the present day. The rainbow is a reminder. And then they took it. No mention of Earth care, nothing. Can can they do that? Can they do that? And I've been honked off ever since, a grumpy old man walking around. How are we going to care for the planet, I kept thinking, if we keep getting distracted? Don't we realize that it's not God who's participating in the desecration of the world this time? It's us. Those of us created in God's image who are doing the destruction. It's like a perverse reading of the sins of the Father being visited upon the children. And I wanted everyone to be part of my agenda without realizing that not everyone was free to be part of my agenda. Many, many in my world in the 60s and 70s, 80s to now, many were left out of the covenant by the very church that became the recipient of the promises of that covenant. I'm not the brightest bulb in the barn, the sharpest tack in the box. So it's taken a long, long time for the realization to sink into me. I think it started with my co-leader, Gwen, with whom I guided trips in Colorado for young life. She was good with the kids, skilled in her trade, and loved God as many as any good missouri synod lutheran would but she was kicked off the ark by her church and family she didn't choose to be lesbian she just is it continued with my friend wales who helped me lead a youth group he was hiv positive and this was in the late 80s we were all pretty terrified of this new thing in the late 80s. But Wales was good with kids, and he loved Jesus, and he was, oh, so kind. And I could name the summer staff over all the years of working at Camp Fuller that I have had the honor to work alongside. Some of the best staff, good with kids, who loved God and Jesus We're also gay or lesbian, bi or queer. And they are wrapped up in this rainbow flag. Sticking up for each other. Claiming that we all, that we all in our differences, we're all part of this covenant. And that's when I got over the rainbow. You know that moment? You know that moment in... After a long night, it's been dark, but that moment, maybe you're in a lean-to or a tent in my world, (laughs) and you begin to see, and you begin to make things out, and it's hard at first, and things become more and more into focus, and there's that time, that moment you can never identify when black and white becomes color. Color. You never know when that really happens, but it happens every day. That's when it happened to me. That maybe the rainbow really is theirs now. Maybe it has been all along. Maybe its meaning has returned. That it's not just a symbol of unity and diversity. It's bigger than that. It's a symbol of the covenant. The covenant that we hear In Psalm 103, these words that we read after communion, that we read after communion every time I had it, where we experience and taste God's grace. And what did we read? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God will not always accuse nor keep his anger forever. God doesn't deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as heavens are high, high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our transgressions from us, for he knows how we were made. And God remembers that we are dust. God remembers. God remembers. And maybe the rainbow isn't, isn't just for our LGBTQ siblings. Maybe it's once again for God. For God to remember to be merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Maybe when we see the rainbow, it's a reminder to us that we have all been saved through the water. Fed by a God whose grace exceeds the distance between east and west. Maybe the rainbow was a reminder to us in this post-Jesus world that no one of us is saved until we are all saved. Do you remember the end of that great poem in the book of Hebrews where we hear about all these people of faith and it, it ends with, and not one of them received what God had promised because without you, they wouldn't be made complete. Without you all, without Everyone being part of this, not one of us is fully saved. Maybe the rainbow means that in the grace of a God who will no, mean that in the grace of a God who will no longer destroy the world, there is no longer an "us" and a "you" and maybe not even a "them. But in our coming together, it doesn't meld us together into a gray. But our coming together makes us shine and sparkle like that rainbow after that big dark storm. And you see it and you know that the storm has passed. I once thought that the battle for inclusion of the LGBTQ peoples in the church and and for that matter in society, I once thought that it wasn't my fight. Not my hill to die on, I once arrogantly told someone. For I was busy hugging trees. But I was wrong. If God's grace is for all creation, then I can't get to my creation, my mission of preaching creation care unless I'm also standing with those who have been traditionally cast out. The rainbow of the covenant only works if... If it's a rainbow of inclusion, of gay and straight, of black and white, of the 1% and the 99%, each of us with a unique voice in this song of praise to God and in responding to the cries of the neglected. So I've got to get over the rainbow and remember that I'm a recipient of unmerited grace which I cannot control and I should not attempt to withhold from anyone or any creature. And we've got to get over the rainbow. And we've got to be appalled at the fact that right now, this is still the most segregated hour in America. And we have to actively work to stand alongside of our black and Hispanic neighbors and siblings and know that the rainbow is for everyone. And we've got to get over the rainbow, and we've got to be shocked to know that every one of us has come here fed this morning, while 80% of my friend's elementary classroom in Schenectady is on food assistance. And more and more backpacks are filled every weekend in Scotia For kids who who otherwise would not be fed. The rainbow is a reminder of the covenant to all creation. The rainbow is there to remind God to never again destroy the world. The rainbow is there to remind me to live God's love and grace to all of creation and all of God's people's. So I ask us all, what will it take for each of us to get over the rainbow? Amen.